from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. Welcome into another episode of Jersey Jump Shot from the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Thanks for tuning in. Ryan Ross here, of course, with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Welcome into episode six of our season, guys. Hope you had a good week last week, a better week than Rutgers, maybe. Sorry, Scarlet Knights fans. We'll get much more into Rutgers' struggles in today's episode. But right off the top, uh, a subject that was discussed, especially here in the Garden State uh, the last week, Rutgers and Seton Hall, they have a little bit of a gap in their schedules. Uh, so people are possibly looking at the Pirates and Scarlet Knights and you know connecting the dots and saying, hey, why don't they play? Uh, there's some opinions on that. Doesn't look like it's going to happen, but uh, right off the top, uh, the two, I guess you could say, most prominent teams in New Jersey in college basketball, at least this season, uh, there were some rumors that they might try to play, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Look, nobody in New Jersey, and I mean nobody, wants to see this game happen more than me, okay? But <laughs> and, I, and I thought there was maybe an outside chance that if the circumstances align, they might try to play you know, in, in the league schedule, middle of the league schedule in January, February, those circumstances are aligning right now and they're not playing. And you know what? I don't blame them for not playing because when you take a step back and look at the big picture, both teams are banged up. Rutgers has a lot of injuries, more than just Cliff Omarui, which everybody knows about. Seton Hall is a prominent player, Bryce Aiken, who has, who's out with a sprained ankle and they're coming off a road trip. I think these teams are tired. Uh, and the league schedule is really what it's about right now. That's what they're going to be judged on come Selection Sunday. Yeah, they have a window to maybe play the game, this the rivalry game this Tuesday. Um, now that Rutgers had a cancellation, Penn State in the COVID pause. But, you know, it's just a, to, to invest that amount of, amount of emotion into a rivalry game right now, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Seton Hall has is, is is already said that taking the week off Kevin Willard's given his team four days off. Steve Peichel seemed to be strongly leaning that way, and I don't blame him. And it's sad that they didn't play this year. I don't blame him for not playing this right now. Uh, this game needs to be played in December, sandwiched in between some you know lower major cupcake type games. That's the the platform and the sort of the the amount of the rest that it deserves from these teams. Um, my my hope is that, and it's, I'm cons- a little concerned is that they will resume playing next year, that the differences will be ironed out, and that in December of 2021, we'll have a Garden State Hardwood Classic. I don't know for sure that's going to happen. I hope it will. I think cooler heads will prevail, but it just doesn't make sense to jam in it right now, and it's disappointing, but there are bigger fish to fry and bigger concerns for these programs at the moment. Totally agree. I mean, this game should have been played and could have been played early in the year. Once you missed that window, it was over. There's no way during the COVID-19 pandemic to cram in a non-conference game in the middle of your conference schedule when, as you said, Jerry, that's all that matters. And honestly, let's face it, in the time other than until the last week, there was never a big uh, value for this game for Seton Hall this year. Rutgers was really good. You know, the, the Big East is down a little bit this year. You know, that's a game that they were going to be hard-pressed to win that game, it looked like. So, you know, I, again, but overall, it, it you know, as much as, you know, the fans want to see it, just doesn't make sense. And I'll agree with that. I, I'll, I, 
from a Rutgers perspective, you know, the Big Ten is enough of a gauntlet. I mean, these teams are beating each other up every single game. Uh, only really Michigan has gotten through unscathed so far. Um, Rutgers needs the time. You know, I, I, I agree that I would love to see this game too. I think everybody would, but now's not the time to get it done. And and I agree. Rutgers, especially Rutgers, after this past week, looks like they could use a break. Um, you know, they lose two games. Jerry, they have dropped out of your top 25. I'm sure they're dropping out of everyone else's top 25 as well. They lose 68-45 uh, to Michigan State. Uh, I saw the tweets from you, Jerry, too, in the uh, post-game press conference. Peichel wasn't thrilled with the body language in that game. That's something uh, you never like to hear from a coach. They go on to lose 79-68 to uh, Ohio State as well. Uh, so we'll ask the question, what's wrong with the Scarlet Knights right now? First of all, I just want to make clear, it's not that Rutgers lost two games. That's not the problem. You're going to lose games. They've lost three in a row. The losses themselves aren't the issue. Every team is going to have a losing streak in the Big Ten. It's going to happen to Michigan, too. It's inevitable. It's the best conference in the country, the deepest maybe it's ever been. And so that's not the issue. The issue is the way Rutgers lost these games, non-competitive. They just were not competitive against Michigan State and at home against Ohio State. The final score of 11, very deceiving. Never had a shot in the game from the, you know, from the middle of the first half on. Uh, and so, to me, what's happening is a combination of things happening to Rutgers. One is that the Big, the Big Ten is cannibalizing itself. The same thing happened in Minnesota this week, which also was ranked. They got destroyed twice. Destroyed. Bigger margins than Rutgers lost. So, that, it's, it's a combination of it's going to happen. Uh, I also think that Rutgers is more banged up than... Then it has been announced. Uh, there were illusions, several illusions after the Ohio State game and the post game to multiple people being injured. Geo Baker is clearly playing through that high ankle sprain that hasn't quite got come all the way around. Maybe he should have taken more time off. I'm not a doctor. That's not for me to judge, but he doesn't look the same. And I think other guys are, are nicked up too. So there's they're banged up. And this is, you know, some new ground for these guys because they did have one three-game losing streak last year, but they always had the comfort of the rack to lean back on. You'd go to the rack, and there'd be 8,000 you know, screaming, red-bleeding Rutgers faithful there to help them get better, and they're not there this year. And so these guys have to figure it out without that home crowd. Maybe they, you know, they don't fall behind to Ohio State by that margin uh, with the home crowd in, in the rack. On Saturday, it's not there, guys. They got to figure it out, and that that leadership has to come from within. So, a couple there's a couple of things Rutgers is facing. I don't think that season's lost by any stretch of the imagination. This team's still very good, and they could turn it around in one win. Chris could speak to that. He's looking in. He's been he's been eyeing up the Wisconsin game. They could turn this around very easily in one game. But that's kind of what's hitting this team right now. It's a little bit of a January swoon. See, but I don't think you can discount the weight. That of, of the pressure that these players are under right now. And it's not just Rutgers, it's everywhere. You, you're not living the life of a college kid. You're not seeing your girlfriend. You're not seeing your family. You, you, it's, it's, it's an incredible weight that's on these guys' shoulders. And you see it across the country. You are going to get performances like this. And you're not going to know why. Because it's such a different season. And and. You know, there's just so much going on behind the scenes that you don't that you don't know about. Great. Point. Well, I agree with all that. And I, I, I want to go, you know, what Jerry said, too, about the Big Ten. 
Um, and we've said this a couple of times that it's just the gauntlet. I mean, you look at Maryland. Maryland has two Big Ten victories against Illinois and Wisconsin, two of the better teams in the league. It's just a crazy, crazy year for the entire conference right now. But also, I think Rutgers needs to get its free throw shooting figured out. You, they're last in the Big Ten at 58% from the line. That's just not good enough. If you want to be a team that advances in the tournament, that's not good enough. And some of these games where they're getting blown out, you know, a few more foul shots made probably wouldn't make a difference. But you look at that game against Iowa where they lost by two points and they went four of 12 from the free throw line. That's just not good enough. You have to get that figured out. Figure out some way to be a better uh, free throw shooting team or else, this, you know, this season's not going to go the way you want it to. I do think that they can get things straightened out. I do think that they're much, much better than these last three games have shown. But they have to. They have certainly improvements to make, and I think that that free throw shooting needs to get better. It's a great point, Chris. For fifty-eight percent is horrendous and it's awful. Horrendous, and I think even though, like you, you know, you said they wouldn't, they wouldn't have changed the blowouts. But against Michigan State, you could see that when they were they were opened up, I think, zero for seven, zero for six, and really bricks, and you could see the body language deteriorating right. with every missed shot. It like took Moment. a piece of their heart out. So that's a big deal. Now, how do you get better at it in the middle of a season? Well, one thing is Rutgers has good free throw shooters. They're just not getting to the line. Right. So they have guys who can hit free. They have four good free throw shooters who are not getting to the line. The guys getting to the line are the terrible free throw shooters, and they're missing a ton of shots. So they have to figure that out, how to get these other guys to the line, what they need to do when they're on the court to get to the line. And also, does Steve Pike has to play? Does he have to change up his combinations to get his better free throw shooters on the court more? That's a good question as well. So there's a lot to untangle there, but you're right, Chris. Do we think this postponement uh, with the, the Penn State game being canceled due to COVID issues, do we think this helps Rutgers to kind of have almost a full week to just kind of reset, get healthy, uh, you know, take some time and, and get right back into it on Friday against a very good Wisconsin team? Or, you know, is it something that you want Rutgers to kind of play through it to, to kind of work out the kinks? What do you think, Chris? I think that the time off um, will help them. I think that they need this now. I think they need this rest. I think, you know, a guy like Geo Baker certainly could use some time just to kind of get right. And I think that if they can get, you know, Cliff Amore, um, get going back in the right direction, perhaps get him healthy enough. We still don't know a specific time frame, but I, I think that the days off between before the next game uh, could certainly help. Listen, Wisconsin's a really good team. They're the best three-point shooting team in, in the Big Ten. Um, but I do think that they're beatable. You know, Wisconsin has not played well at the rack. Um, since uh, you know Rutgers joined the Big Ten, they've won all three all three games at home against Wisconsin. Now, obviously, it's a different circumstance this year because there are no fans. But still, I mean, you know, Wisconsin, I'm sure, is not going to be showing up to the rack with great feelings about that place. So, you know, I think that it's a winnable game, but I I, I just think that Rutgers needs these these days off. Boy, it's a great question, Ryan. I, I'm going to just like take a slightly different tack, and I think Chris's Chris's view is totally reasonable. He might well be right, but Rutgers just needs a win right now, and they they could go out and beat Penn State. Uh, Penn State's not very good. They're okay. They're not great. It's a terrible, you know, no home court advantage at all there. Uh, Rutgers could go win that game. I think that would do a lot for their psyche. They're not going to have a chance. They're going to have to strap it up and beat a beat a really, really good Wisconsin team to get this kid over with. Yeah, and absolutely. What, and then if you, but if you do go out to Penn State and you lose, then what? You know, I mean, and then it's like now, now you're now it's even worse. So it's it's I don't I think it's a really really tough question. I'm not sure if there necessarily is a right answer. <laughs> you know, I I think Rutgers is an incredible case study this season. You know, last year the team that could not lose at home and could not win on the road. Now we're going to take all the fans out of the arena and let's see how you do. And I think it's fascinating, you know, and, and they looked pretty good early on, but now they've lost a couple and now they got a big game against Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I, I think that's very interesting and it will be interesting to see, see if they can pull this together at home. 
It's like the control group, right? You take out the fans in the rack and you see just really how good this Rutgers team is. And then, you know, you do the experiment. Yeah, the fans back in and suddenly they're supermen. But what's our outlook for Friday? You know, all of this discussed, all of the issues they have, the time off. Uh, let's get some predictions in. How do we see the game Friday against Wisconsin playing out for Rutgers? So I, I think Rutgers will play well. Uh, it's very hard for me to pick Rutgers to beat Wisconsin right now because Wisconsin is a veteran team that makes threes, and, you know, they're battle-tested. I, I, I see a really good game. I'll be stunned if Rutgers gets run off the floor again, but I just can't pick them to win right now. i got to see that they've turned the corner for them to actually pick them to actually win the game. I'll take Wisconsin in a very close, well-played game. Yeah, I'm going to back that up. I, I think that I, I, I haven't seen enough these last few games to say that Rutgers will win. I do think that they'll keep it close, um, but I, I'm, I'm going to say Wisconsin comes out with the win. I think this is one of those games where – there's no way Rutgers can win, and sure enough, you know they they they, they do what you don't think they're going to do. I, I think Rutgers can do it. I'm going to say Rutgers. Right. So Steve gets Rutgers money line, and Chris, Jerry, and myself will take Rutgers with the points. I'm not sure what the spread is yet, but I uh, have to imagine they'll be home dogs. And I agree. I don't think they'll get run off the floor again. I don't think they'll get blown out. But to sit here and say that you know it's a it's a definite win. Uh, here on Monday, seeing how Rutgers played last week on Friday against Wisconsin. Uh, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think they'll get embarrassed. I think they'll hang tough. I don't want to say they'll win outright, but they'll at least be in the mix on that. And of course, we'll break down that game on our next episode of Jersey Jump Shot. Moving along now to the Seton Hall Pirates. They have a blowout loss of their own last week, 89-53 to Creighton out in Omaha. Uh, Aiken a little banged up as well. We had a lineup switch in that game, but they rebound. They beat DePaul 76-68, the 100th Big East win for Kevin Willard. So nice bounce. Bounce back win there for the Pirates. Uh, Jerry, what did you see from them last week? And what do we have coming up? Because we do have a special game coming up this Saturday against Xavier. I want to start by saying it was not, this was not emphasized enough in the media. And I tried to do the best I could with it, but maybe I could have done even more. But Kevin Willard winning 100 Big East games, it's a big freaking deal. Listen to this list, okay? Listen to the list of coaches who've won 100 Big East men's basketball games. Jim Beheim, Jim Calhoun, Jay Wright, John Thompson, Mike Bray, John Thompson III, Lou Carnesecca, Jamie Dixon, Rick Pitino, Raleigh Massimino, and Kevin Willard. That's one, two, three, four, five coaches, six coaches who've won national titles. Just about everyone else has gotten their team to a Final Four. Mike Bray in Elite Eight, Jamie Dixon didn't. But those are all big-time college basketball coaches and a lot of legends and Hall of Famers. Kevin Willard is on that list. That is, I know the Big East has changed. I know it's downsized. That is still a very, very big deal. And last this past week was an example of what makes Kevin Willard a coach who could win 100 Big East games. His team got embarrassed, embarrassed by Creighton. I mean, that was just, just unbelievably non-competitive, okay? And with some coaches, with some teams, cultures, that can snowball to a disaster. They go to DePaul. They never came home. Seton Hall flies to DePaul. They lost a player. Uh, Bryce Aiken gets hurts his ankle again, demoralizing for everybody at Creighton. They show up at DePaul, and they build a 21-point lead. And then, you know, it, it slipped to like seven or eight points at the end. But they were never going to lose that game. And I, don't, I know DePaul's not very good, and the game was sloppy. Blah, 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 blah. It's a conference road win. You know how hard those are to get? At this level, a conference road win. They're 3-1 and one on the road in the Big East. 
So that's what makes Kevin Willard good. I'm sure he walked into that locker room after Creighton and said, hey, guys, don't worry about it. Forget about it. And they did. And so that's his attitude. That's the players. These guys are veterans. They've been through the wars, and they bounce back. So it's a really big deal he won those games. Um, Seton Hall's in very good shape at 6-2 and two in the league. Now, it should be said, they've had a pretty soft trip so far. The schedule starts to get a lot harder. Before we get into that, that'll be more of a discussion for the next podcast. They have a bye. They have one game this week, a home game against Xavier, and it's their best win of the season. They went on the road and beat Xavier, pounded them out in Cincinnati. Xavier is 10-2, and two, okay? But what makes this game special is it's in Walsh Gym. It's the first Big East game in Walsh Gym since 1985. They beat Connecticut there year before Jim Calhoun started coaching Connecticut. Okay, that's the last time they played a home, a Big East game in Walsh Gym. So it's really a cool moment. I'm going to go. I have only gone to one game this year. I went to the to Rutgers opener, which wasn't televised at the rack. I've been covering the games from home. Chris has been going to the rack. Um, I'm going to go to this game because of the historic nature of it. I'll sit up high. It's not too high. It's not a very big place. <laughs> but I think it'll be really cool to see the game in Walsh. And I expect Seton Hall to play well. Look. Xavier's not going to get run off the floor again. They're too good for that. It'll be a good game, but I like Seton Hall close in Walsh, and I think it will be a special moment for those who like basketball history, especially in New Jersey. I think that has been one of the upsides of the pandemic is to be able to look and see some of these teams playing in their on-campus gym. You know, I remember I uh, just last week looking at that Providence game, you know, playing on campus in the gym with the baskets that come down from the ceiling. You know, um, I love it. I, I think that's been a great thing. Yeah, yeah we've I seen love it with St. John's, love- right? And uh, St. John's has done it. Villanova's done it. Georgetown. I, I agree. Georgetown. Georgetown. Uh, I, I love Walsh. I think Walsh is a great venue. Uh, one of my favorite places to watch a basketball game. It doesn't look great on TV. You know, you got the stage with the curtain, which probably looks a little weird on TV. And I think that's why Seton Hall is not playing most of their games there, the optics for recruiting. But it's such a charming place to go and watch a game. And I've seen some I've seen some some games there over the years. Uh, you know, I was there in 1994 when the uh, the women's team, Seton Hall women, beat Texas in the second round of the NCAA tournament at home. Now, Walsh was bigger then. It was packed 3,000 people. Now the capacity is like a, a little more than half that. It might be like seventeen or 1,800. It was 3,000-plus people there that day, and it was awesome. It was a, And I've seen some big high school games there. It's a great place. Now, Seton Hall fans ask me all the time, why can't Seton Hall expand Walsh Gym and make that their on-campus arena, like their version of the rack? It doesn't even have to be 8,000 like the rack. Could they get to 6,000 like Villanova's Pavilion, which is an incredible home court advantage? And my answer always is, uh, sadly, no, they can't do that. Because in the 60s, Seton Hall gave away a huge chunk of land, uh, Ivy Hill Park. They gave it away or they sold it for whatever pittance to the city of Newark. And they don't own that land anymore. So that was the only chance they had to expand. If you know the campus, that park is right next to where Walsh Gym is, the recreation center. They don't own that. So the only they can't build out there. They're, they're trapped in there. There's no place to add additional parking. And in order to build up, they would need, you know, real express zoning board approvals from the village of South Orange. Those ain't coming. That is not a great lovey-dovey relationship. It's okay, but there have been long-standing tensions between the village and the school, like in many college towns. They're not getting that approval. So it, Walsh Gym has gotten smaller over the years. Tommy Amaker took out a bunch of seats to make a big office, okay? 
So it's it's going the wrong direction. They're never going to be able to get it to where they need to be to be on campus. But we can dream. And you know what? For one day Saturday, it'll be fun. And, and there's the money angle, of course. When we do have fans in the stands and you get 10,000 at the Rock as opposed to 1,100 at Wall Street. I understand that, of course, but I agree, Jerry. Uh, you know, kind of for any Seton Hall fan that might be watching the game this weekend, take it all in because it is history. It's really cool. I look forward to seeing uh, your pictures and tweets too, Jerry, from that game. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, as for our mid-majors in New Jersey, we were just talking about this before the show. Kind of a weird mixed bag. You have a team like Monmouth who's playing really well. And then you have a team like Fairleigh Dickinson who hasn't played since December 22nd. They won't play until, what, the 23rd, 21st of this month? So they have almost a month off. Uh, Steve, I know you've been following this, but what a weird mixed bag we have for our mid-majors in the Garden State. Yeah, the mid-majors obviously don't have the testing and don't have a lot of the resources that the high-majors have. So you see this in mid-major leagues all over the place. You know, you, you bring up FDU, they'll have gone 30 days without a game when they get back on the court on the 21st against Merrimack. Um, you look at Rick Patino's Iona team. You know, they don't play again until the 17th against St. Peter's. That'll be 25 days the Gales have been off the court when they come back. You know, uh, it it's very hard to find any kind of continuity or, or anything during that time. And a lot of that, that time is spent, you know, with no team activities. So very tough. Um, you know, hey, listen, Patino's a Hall of Famer. I'm sure he'll overcome it. But, you know, so many coaches are going through a lot of very tough stuff right now. And let's talk about FDU because this is a team favored to win its league. Right. And that was going to go a month without playing a game and a lot of that time without any team basketball activities in the meat of the conference season. That's brutal. Greg yeah. Horan is a good coach and he's a good guy, but that's a tough nut to figure out. I mean, that's you're throwing a big time curveball there. Yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, you go a month without playing, that's going to affect you. I mean, that, that's just it's, that's tough to overcome. And then you do have teams that are playing, and one of those teams is Monmouth, and they're playing well. They sweep Marist. They have Quinnipiac this weekend. Uh, we're kind of in this you know, weekend schedule where these teams play the back-to-backs on Friday, Saturday, or Saturday, Sunday, what have you. Then they get the week off, and then they play again. But, uh, Steve, what have you seen from Monmouth? We talked about Kevin Willard, 100 Big East wins. The last win for Monmouth, that was their 1,000th program win. So a nice milestone there for them. Yeah, a nice milestone. And honestly, there's probably not a coach in the country who had a better week than King Rice last week. You know, they get swept at Siena. He brings the team back. And before practice on successive days, he shows them the 2015 opening win at Pauley Pavilion against UCLA. And the next day, he shows them the win over number 16 Notre Dame that came about 12 days later that season. And basically says, look, this is how these guys play. They, they are together. No one cares who plays more. No one cares who gets the last shot. This is how we have to play because we have some talent. And sure enough, they come out and basically they smoked Marist on two days. Uh, he made a lineup change on Saturday in the first game of the two. And it, it was brilliant. They, they, you know, they, they absolutely, and John Dunn is such a good coach at Marist. So when you can beat them two days in a row, you really have done something. And then after they win the thousandth game on Sunday, you know, King really made a point of, you know, highlighting all the guys that came before him, the coaches, the players. So it was a really nice, nice thing and a nice weekend for Monmouth. So they're playing well. They're in third place. They're behind Siena and Iona. Um, and they're, 
you know, if they're playing well at the end of the season, they have a shot. Absolutely, man. Like I said, they have Quinnipiac um, this weekend, two against them. St. Peter's, they have Iona on Sunday and Monday. NJIT, they split with Maine this past week. They have Albany coming up this weekend. Ryder splits with Niagara. They have Siena on Friday and Saturday. And as we said, FDU, still waiting to play. So we will keep an eye on the New Jersey mid-majors as well. As we wrap up episode six, guys, let's go around the table. Jerry, we'll start with you. Uh, what are some things that our listeners can read across the USA Today network this week? Two things coming this week. Got a good, what I think is an interesting bi-week story about interviewing the, uh, the, the trainers, you know, the chief medical personnel, sports medicine personnel at Rutgers and Seton Hall about uh, how, they've, how they've had to add COVID-19 protocols. So they're already very important duties. And so we'll get an inside look at that. And that should be, should be interesting. Uh, really the most important people you could, you could make a case after the head coaches in these programs this year are the, the, the athletic trainers, the chief sports medicine officers. So we'll look at that. I'm going to have a little look at some classic moments in Walsh gym from the past heading into Xavier. I just wanted to mention real quick, uh, UConn is probably going to bust into the top 25 and Dan Hurley, a name that Everybody who who listens to this podcast will be familiar with. Dan Hurley is coming. He's busting in loud and proud. We'll get to we'll get more on him later in the season when Seton Hall plays him twice. But keep an eye on uh, the Jersey favorite son and his team in UConn making some noise. Absolutely, that sounds great. How about you, Chris? Yeah, later this week I'll have a story looking more at that uh, Rutgers Wisconsin game. Uh, previewing what uh, the Scarlet Knights are about to face and, and what's going to be a big opportunity. And then I'll be at the rack uh, Friday night for that game, 7 o'clock, as Rutgers gets back on the court. So, like we said earlier, that's going to be an interesting game for sure. And Steve, last but not least. Yeah, uh, later in the week, we'll be we'll have a lot of stuff on Monmouth-Quinnipiac, the two games they're playing in West Long Branch, big games for Monmouth. You know, they, they've won four straight at home. If they can make it six straight, they're in great shape in their league. Sounds great. Things definitely heating up in the college basketball season, and we will be here every step of the way to break it down for you. Thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Be sure to tell your friends to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. We'll be back next week to break down all of the New Jersey basketball action. For Jerry, for Steve, for Chris, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.